Hey guys, welcome back to Wilco the Podcast, where we pick a theme each week and discuss Wilco's approach to that theme. This week we're doing things a little bit differently. We've got our first ever guest. We are very excited about today's episode. We got the chance to interview Tim Grierson, author of Wilco Sunken Treasure. Um, man, this was such a fun interview. We we talk about movies, music. We 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 went a lot of places. Uh, it was an excellent conversation. We so appreciate Tim's time. Yeah. Uh, so we really hope you enjoy our conversation today with Tim. Thank you so much for joining today. Tim Grierson, our guest today, is the senior U.S. critic for Screen International and the vice president of the Los Angeles Film Critics Association. His writing appears frequently at Vulture, Rolling Stone, and the Los Angeles Times. Tim co-hosts the weekly film podcast, Grierson and Leach, and he is the author of seven books, including This Is How You Make a Movie and Wilco Sunken Treasure, which is what we are here to talk about today. So, Tim, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. It was a real, I've really been enjoying the podcast and it's a real treat to be on. So, yeah, so thank you so much for having me. So, b- before we jump into our proper discussion about Wilco, you, you are both a music and a film critic. So, we, we did want to pick your, your brain about film just for a minute here. Um, when we first reached out to you to gauge your interest in coming on the show, you mentioned you were at the Sundance Film Festival, which is a great time. I, I had the chance to go there back in 2008. We'd love to go back someday. Um, but coming out of the, the Sundance Film Fest, what would you say were two of the biggest standout films that, that you encountered at the 2023 festival? What should we kind of be looking out for in the months ahead? It's so funny, by the way, because my first Sundance was 2009, so we just missed oh, each other. we missed each other. <laughs> Ships passing in the night. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Uh, in, the, in the snow of Park City. Um, <laughs> I, in terms of, of films at Sundance this year, um, the, the one absolute standout, the one that everybody should be keeping an eye on, and the trailer for it actually just dropped this week, actually. It's going to be coming out through A24, which, of course, does a bunch of great uh, indie art house films. It's a film called Past Lives. It is a romantic triangle, but not exactly. I almost don't want to say too much about it, but it is a story about um, two people, um, two uh, kids growing up in South Korea at three different moments in their lives. Um, They know each other as kids. One of them moves away and then they reconnect many years later and then they reconnect many years later. So there's elements of the before trilogy from Richard Linklater um, in terms of like, you know, catching up with characters at different times in their lives and see what's kind of going on with them. So there's an element of that. um, But it's, it's such a smart and delicate love story. And it's very much, I mean, it's about a lot of things, but one of the things it's very much about is this idea of um, if you and someone else are in some ways soulmates, but you never actually have a romantic relationship, what does that mean about your relationship? And so these characters 
are very much connected to each other, but don't ever have an actual romantic relationship. And the movie examines that type of thing. And it's a type of like love story that hopefully we don't see very much in movies. Um, hmm. You're either with somebody or you're not with somebody. In some ways, these people are connected, but not connected in the way that we sort of traditionally think of a relationship. And it's really well done. I don't know when A24 is putting it out. They haven't announced it yet. I would imagine either the summer or the fall during awards season. Mm-hmm. But you're going to be hearing, my guarantee is that you're going to be hearing a ton about past lives this year. So I'm kind of like warning you ahead of time that you're <laughs> going to be hearing a ton about that movie. Deservedly so. It's really, really just, it's, it's just a tremendous Tremendous movie. That was such a huge standout that there was nothing that came close. But I will say um, another film to kind of keep on people's radar is this film called All Dirt Roads, Taste of Salt, which is a much more sort of personal um, story about someone growing up in the South and sort of connecting um, their the different elements of their childhood in sort of working through different things. Uh, Terrence Malick is something that is, is com- compared a lot in terms of what's going on in this movie. And that's definitely, it's a definitely a good way to sort of describe it to sort of go, it's like this. Um, cool. but it's not entirely like a Terrence Malick movie, but it has sort of a dreamlike memory piece kind of thing. Um, okay. And I forget now who, uh, has picked that up, but that will also be coming out at some point uh, this year. And it's called All Dirt Roads, Taste of Salt. And it's a title that is very, very evocative and sort of speaks to the qualities of the movie. I've seen it once and I already want to see it again because it's a film that when you watch it, you know that one viewing is not sufficient. There's so many things kind of going on and I'm looking forward to seeing it a second time to kind of get a sense of how all the different pieces of it connect. Yeah. Nice. Those are those are sometimes the best kinds of viewing experiences. Absolutely. Yeah. The older I get, the more I think. Yeah, the second viewing is even more important than the first mm, viewing. Yeah. Um, with a lot of movies, because I think there's a lot of times where it's like, oh, now yeah. I see this whole thing. Now I see the yeah. whole picture. When, when you're writing a, a review, do you typically do a couple viewings, or is it you you, you watch it once and then that's that's all you get access to, and you have to, to go from there. Most times it's it's only one viewing. Most mm-hmm. times, like if I'm at a film festival, I go to Sundance and I go to Cannes and I go to Toronto, and and you are seeing things, and then writing about them almost immediately. It's sort of the way yeah. that uh, film festivals work. The analogy yeah. I always make for people who are sports fans is it's kind of like it's like always going to the Super Bowl and always writing about the game right mm-hmm. after. Because if you're a, if you're a sports journalist, sports writer, you don't spend three weeks talk, writing about the Super Bowl. You watch you go to the game yeah, and you right. write about it afterwards yeah. so that's you, that's yeah. the beat you know you're a you're a reporter that way and yeah. when i see films at film festivals i usually have uh two or three hours um and that's just the way it works um for film critics at festivals and i like that exercise and that discipline of really kind of organizing your thoughts and being articulate with that fast of a turnaround. I've been doing it for a lot of years, so I'm used to it. Um, but it's a, it's a, it's a fun exercise, but I'm also open to the idea that uh, future viewings will inform other elements of like, Oh, I, this is now a stronger thing that I didn't realize initially, or I noticed this more, or this works better for me, or that maybe this doesn't work as well. So, yeah. you know, opinions shift over time. And in terms of what we're going to, 
primarily talk about today, it's the interesting thing that I think also connects to music. When mm-hmm. I write about music, very, very extraordinarily rarely is it, okay, you listen to the album one time and then write about it. That's just not the way it works mm-hmm. in music criticism. The idea is that you need like maybe a week to sort of sit with an album and think about it. But movies, there's much more of an expectation of you watch it once and then you write about it. But whether it's right. movies or music, it's like, you know, you got to let this stuff like, you know, germinate inside yeah. of you for a while and kind of live with it for a little while. Um, but, um, but yeah, that's one of, that's one of the crucial differences between writing about music and writing about movies is that um, back in the day, there used to be listening parties or we can't let this album out of our sight because it'll be on the internet. So you have to go to Capitol records to listen to the Coldplay <laughs> album, which is actually a thing that I actually had to do once. Wow. Like you, you went to, you went to Capitol, you listened to Coldplay's album one time and they're like, Okay. Okay. Right. Just, like, took, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, you just took like frantic notes and went home, and then tried yeah. to remember the feeling of the sounds that you heard. Yeah. Um, oh wow! I, I, that was not the most fun way to review an album. Put it that way. You, Absolutely. You're, you're literally in like a conference room. Because uh, we all enjoy music in conference rooms. That's how. It, that's, that's our usual <laughs> that's way of enjoying. Yeah. Right? <laughs> that's how it's you're meant like, to be heard. You, you tell your families, don't bother me. I'm going to my conference room. I have to listen to Wilco now. <laughs> That's a great uh, segue to our next question. Because you're both a reviewer of music and film, they have two really different approaches in terms of the consumption of the art. Do you have a preference for which one you enjoy reviewing? Um, I Since I was young, I've written about both music and movies even when i was a kid growing up i wrote about music and movies because i just really enjoyed uh doing that i think my preference is film um i'm primarily a film critic it's always sort of the thing i wanted to do but i also the long story short is that i uh start out my career primarily as a music critic because more often than not everybody wanted to be a movie critic but not a lot of people wanted to be music critics. And that's kind of how I got my foot in the door was writing about music. I wrote about it growing up. I wrote about it in college. I knew how to do it. And what I like about writing about music and what's different about it than writing about movies is music is more about a feeling. Hmm. It's more about, because I'll have film critic friends of mine who are like, I don't know how you write about music. I could never do that because there's nothing to, 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 latch on to it's hmm. not like plot or characters or performances or what the darn thing looks like a movie you can do all that stuff right. yeah mu- music is a it's a more intimate experience but it's also more of an ephemeral experience it's just huh. you listening to something and i don't have a background as you know, I, I, I played guitar a little bit as a kid but i can't play piano you know i can't read sheet music and so the nuts and bolts of music making is not something that I know very, very well, but Mm. the idea of, of encapsulating, this is what a song feels like. And this is what an album is about. Um, a, you, you have to kind of work a little bit harder, I think in some ways Mm. for music Mm. criticism, because you really have to get beyond this sounds good or this sounds boring, or this sounds loud. Um, you really have to kind of get in there and sort of explain it. And I always have to credit um, a music uh, editor I had, a, a reviews editor I had a long time ago, uh, Rob Tenenbaum, who's a fantastic music journalist and critic. A long time ago, he sent out a thing to all of his 
critics in terms of a guide. And he said, also, make sure you pay attention to the lyrics. What are they talking about? And it's such an important thing, I think, to actually spend the time. This is one of the things I really like about uh, your guys' podcast is I feel like you spend a little time mm. talking about what is this song about? What is Jeff trying to say? And is it is it is it him? Is it the character that he's doing? What's this thing about? And so the themed episodes you guys have done have been really fun because I think that's part mm. of what you have to do uh, as a music critic the best you can is to, you don't, don't often have like a lyric sheet that you're given, but try and yeah. listen to those words and try and figure out what's being conveyed because sometimes mm. that, in connection with the music, will tell you what's going on um, in that song, in that album. And so you... You know, you as a music critic, you have to spend a decent amount of time understanding why you like something, but also understanding what they're trying to communicate. And yeah, so that's a very long, it's a very long oh, answer. But what I would say is that I, I prefer film criticism because film is closer to my heart. But what I mm-hmm. like about music is it's a different exercise, it's a different mm-hmm. discipline. The thing I say to people is that it's sort of like a crop rotation. You kind of I do one and then I do the other because it keeps both, it keeps both like kind of sharp, but they're yeah. different. And so I never get tired of doing one or the other. I always move back and forth, and also like. I'll write about the occasional book or I'll do a lot of television as well. And so it's like you mm. you do these different types of things and they work different parts of your sort of critical brain. Um, yeah. I wouldn't want to give up any of them. Film is the thing I love the most, though. Yeah. I love that. I, I am curious, is it easier to write about a band that you've kind of spent a lot more time on than say like a, a brand new artist who's released a debut album? I, I would say that I would say that it is it can be a trap sometimes, but it's in some ways it's nicer to write about an artist that you know pretty decently because they put out a lot of albums. And I mm-hmm. say it's a trap because sometimes you can get stuck. And Wilco's kind of a great example of this. You can get stuck in the idea of, well, no, 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 they, they sound like this. Yeah. Why are they doing this? Mm-hmm. Um, or not being able to fully appreciate um, an artist evolving. Right. Where you're, where you're helped is that you have this body of, of knowledge of, you know, Wilco's new album sounds a little bit like Sky Blue Sky. You yeah. can, you can, you can, you can pinpoint certain sounds and go, this is them in the same vein as this. And you can explain that to listeners who also understand, okay, this is more this, this is, this is more country-ish, this is more experimental. But at the same time, you also have to, I think, be careful and go, well, uh, to use Wilco as an example, well, Jeff Tweedy is not the same age as he was when he put out that other album. And so he's a different person than he used to be. I don't want to assume too much about who he is now or mm-hmm. force him to be the same thing that he was before. When you're working with a brand new artist, the trick is not playing the comparison game. You know, mm. it's it's like, you know, it's like Public Enemy meets, you know, blah, blah, blah. Like <laughs> you, an artist, you know, when you talk yeah. to artists, especially newer artists, th- sometimes they're complimented or, or, or flattered by that. But often they feel like, no, I'm actually my own person. They want to be their and, own and, and, yeah. and don't And don't tell me I'm, you know, you know, 
Public Enemy meets Adele or whatever like crazy <laughs> comparison you want. I want to hear, hear, hear that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm not. I, I'm. I'll promote things later, but that's my band that I'm working on right now. The oh. Public Enemy Adele mashup. That nice. Would be nice. Very. The, the the world's really excited for it. But no, seriously, it's it's um. <laughs> Artists have influences, new artists have influences, but they don't want to be defined by them. And so you also have to, it can help you to say, oh, I I feel, I hear a little bit of this, or I feel Mm -hmm. a little bit of this, but trying not to impose that on an artist when you review their work, I think is kind of crucial. Now, if you do an interview, you can say, hey, I noticed there's this element, and I'm curious if that's like a thing that, you know, if that's an artist that means something to you. But I think in reviews, you have to be careful not um, to do that. It's sort of inevitable with a new artist because you want them, mm. you want to tell an audience or a readership, what does this sound like? And so I'll, I'll have a starting point. Yeah. Yeah. And so I'll do yeah. more sort of like, try to talk about like genres or sounds mm-hmm. as opposed to this sounds like a young Dylan. Mm-hmm. Also, it just, it creates. It's the same reason why I don't, um, if I can help it, whether it's film or music, I don't use the word masterpiece to describe anything because um, it's a word that means uh, too much. Um, like if I, you know, if I, if you, if I told you an artist or a movie, if I had described uh, that movie Past Lives that you asked me about in terms of Sundance and say it's a masterpiece, you will create an idea of what that movie must be by what you think a masterpiece is. And then you'll watch that movie and go, well, that's not exactly what I thought it was going to be because there's been this impossible standard that you've put, you've compared it to in terms of being a masterpiece. And so I find that's not super helpful. And so I feel like in the same way, if you call, like if you describe someone as like a young Dylan or it's like, uh, the Rolling Stones meet the Strokes or something, then you're thinking, okay, I know what the Rolling yeah. Stones sound like, I know what the Strokes sound like, and it 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 puts them in a box. And I and I, I try not to do that because I almost want... I really, I rather sort of describe it in words that are not as concrete as that because one of the things that's great about music is that there is a quality that it sort of invites you to figure it out as opposed to saying, no, this is what it is. Um, this seems very respectful to both the, the artists, like let them stand on their own. Don't, don't set them up for an unfair comparison that they could possibly measure up to. But also it sounds very respectful to the listener. Like, Hey, you're going to like some stuff. I don't like, I'm going to like some stuff that you don't like. And that's great. Which that's an interesting thing to think about from a, a critic's perspective. I appreciate that, Lance, because that's actually something I, I try and do. And when I talk to, you know, you know, journalism students or, you know, young critics or whatever, I'm like, yeah, you, 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 I am pretty harsh on stuff that's bad. Um, but I'm also very, very sensitive to the idea of what is this artist trying to do and trying to understand that. And I don't consider my job to be, I'm going to tell you what I think, but I don't necessarily consider my job to be uh, convincing you. It's a weird way to say this, but I don't, I'm not, I'm not trying to convince them that I'm right. I'm, I actually know that I'm right. And what I mean by that is I know I'm right in terms of how I feel, 
but I don't know how you feel about it. And a perfect example, and this literally just happened yesterday. You may be aware that a major motion picture named Cocaine Bear is is out this weekend. Before we started recording, I joked with Lance, like, let's uh, let's just get uh, Tim's thoughts on Cocaine Bear. <laughs> that's fine. I did, I did see your review come out. And, uh, yeah, it's it, we, 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 it can be a Wilco slash Cocaine Bear yeah, podcast yeah, episode. I was not a super fan of it. And yeah. I reviewed it and, and said as much. And... Uh, my wife, who I love dearly, who's also really into movies and also very much into music, and we talk about this stuff a lot, she hasn't seen the movie yet, but she read my review yesterday, and she said, yeah, it's funny, I still kind of want to see it. And I don't take that as I did a bad job or some sort of insult to me, because my job, I feel like, is very much to say, this is what the thing is. This is yeah. what the thing is, and then you may still want to see it because... If that's in your wheelhouse, you might go, okay, well, Tim didn't like it, but I kind of want to see that bear go crazy yeah, on cocaine because that's, that's my jam. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't assume that that's going to change a person's feeling about wanting to see it. Sometimes, sometimes if you really rave about saying a really trash something, people will be like, oh, never, never mind. Or, oh, yeah. maybe I should check mm-hmm. that out. And that's great when that, when you turn somebody onto a movie, that's great. But sometimes people are going to see stuff regardless. And I think as a critic, you always should know that what you're trying to do is say, from my perspective, this is how I see the thing. This is how I see it. And so I'm mostly just articulating my own point of view. And then you may see the movie and then then Mm -hmm. read it and be like, yeah, I see what Tim's saying, but I just, that's my jam. I just, I just, like that bear. Yeah did so much cocaine and went so crazy. And and that there is... There better be bears and there better be cocaine in a movie called Cocaine Bear. I, I feel pretty confident in saying that you will get your, we'll your fair share of both cocaine, both cocaine and bear and cocaine bear. The, 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 all of that's It's a low bar. It's a low bar, but it does go above that. I will say that. But, it's, it's, okay. but that's sort of the thing. And, you know, and, you know... Partly because I know we're gonna we're gonna talk about Wilco and and talk about the the book like that's kind of how I wrote the Wilco book. I did not write the Wilco book under any false uh, delusion that like I'm uh, you know I'm I'm writing something where I'm going to change the world's opinion on Wilco one way or the other. Mm-hmm. What I really thought was like. No, I'm I'm going to figure out how I feel about Wilco by writing this book. In a lot of ways, me writing is me figuring out how I feel about a thing. And cool. if people if people get something out of that, that is great. I'm not writing it just for myself, but I feel like my sort of responsibility is to say I have done the best I absolutely can to explain how I feel about the thing. Yeah. Here you go. And yeah. this is this is my feeling about it and you are a separate person from me. Um Tell me how much this overlaps or intersects in terms of how you feel about it. Tell me how it's different or what what comes to mind from the stuff I wrote. That that's yes. sort of how I uh, interpret my job, and and then it's always interesting that what comes back to me in terms of, oh my God, you were so off base on blah blah blah, or you were the one person who said the thing I was thinking, and I thought I was crazy, but then I read your thing and I thought. Oh, I'm not crazy. Um, not you alone. Felt the same yeah. way. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's great. 
Well, that's that's a great uh, segue. I guess we should probably talk about Wilco since this is a Wilco podcast, right? Um, as much as I want, we, we, we can talk about, about Cocaine Bear there. more later if you want. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there we'll are do, no we'll Wilco that. songs in Cocaine Bear. We'll do in a case bonus you were episode wondering. about Cocaine Bear. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> All right, so we wanted to go ahead and start back at the beginning, Tim, and talk about your first introduction to Wilco. In the introduction to your book, you mentioned that you were not an immediate Wilco fan. You went as far as to say, like when Uncle Tupelo split, you were kind of rooting more for Jay Farrar and against Tweedy almost. So I'm curious, what eventually led you to change your mind? Was it like a specific album, a specific song? And I know you mentioned Maturity Helps uh, as well, but <laughs> right, yeah, right. just curious uh, what kind of made that mind switch for you. Yeah, so um, this was the second uh, music book that I had written. And the book I written, the first one, was a book about the L.A. group Eels, um, led by E. Mark Oliver Everett. And... That book came about because, I'll make this very brief to get to the actual meat of your question, but I, uh, a publisher, a music publisher reached out to me because I had written about eels and a couple of different things and how much I really love the band and said, hey, would you ever want to write a book about eels? And I'm not joking, within about two weeks before that, I was hanging out with my girlfriend, now wife, and she said, if you ever wrote a book, would you want to write a novel or something? I said, No. I actually would like to write a book about a, a band. And I said, you know, the band I've always wanted to write about is Eels because I find them so interesting. And two weeks later, I get this random email. I thought it was a joke. Um, and I wrote wow. that book about Eels and really enjoyed it. And, you know, my editor really liked it and the publisher really liked it. And they said, hey, this book was great. Would you want to write a book about Wilco? And I said to my editor, Here's the deal. And basically the intro of the book is what I told my editor. And for people who have not read the book, I'll just say what I told my editor was um, I came came around to Wilco in sort of a roundabout way. Um, When Uncle Tupelo broke up, I was really into Uncle Tupelo's last album, their final album. Really enjoyed it. Hmm. But I think like most people at that time... um, I thought, well, you know, Jay Farrar is the genius. Um, to really be reductive about, you know, Jay Farrar is John Lennon. Yeah. Jeff Tweedy is Paul McCartney. He writes the fun songs, and, you know, he's good. But to Jay Farrar, like, his voice is better. His songs are more interesting. His songs are deeper. He's mm-hmm. the real genius of this of this operation. When they broke up, both bands put out albums. Um uh, it is always fun to to be on something like this and to say the following. I still think uh, Sunvolt's first album is better. Is 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 the album I prefer to any Wilco album, which may be uh, blasphemy. You may want to kick me oh, off the podcast what? immediately. <laughs> I I I I love Trace so much, and I still do. I think from top mm. to bottom, as a consistent album, I think it is a stronger album than even anything that Wilco has done since then. Mm. Wilco's career has been so much more vast and more. Uh, rewarding in a lot of ways. But if you had to pick one album, I would pick that. Yeah. And I found myself rooting for Sunvolt over Wilco. Mm. Also, I, I, I mentioned this in the book, AM is not one of Wilco's strongest albums. No. Will, AM feels like, oh, th- this, is, this is Jeff doing his side of an Uncle Tupelo album. Yeah. Both of those albums, Trace and AM, are their sides 
of an Uncle Tupelo album. Yeah. And I prefer and I preferred Jay's. I just preferred Jay's. And AM I didn't think was very good. I thought, uh, this is not, you know. Um, and then it comes being there and like that. And I had always stayed with Wilco and kept listening to their stuff and kept listening to to Sunvolt's stuff. But I found myself really rooting for Jay Farrar. Hmm. Uh to to because I think this is important. How old were you when you listened to this stuff? I was in college when when Sunvolt and Wilco kind okay. of started. Split and up. so, yeah. you know, I was I was that age and I found myself just gravitating more to Jay Farrar's sure uh, moody, despondent, melancholy kind of thing. Yeah. And basically what happened was um, I, I was interested, you know, Yankee Hotel Foxtrot comes out. And by that point, nobody's talking about Sunvolt anymore. It's kind <laughs> of, it's kind of, I mean, the, you know, the, the band's still around, but it's just, those albums kind of fallen off everybody's radar. And I found myself, uh, I found myself at the time that Yankee Hotel Foxtrot came out, kind of being annoyed with the narrative that was around. I was very much deep into music criticism at that point and very much kind of tired of this narrative of uh, Yankee Hotel Foxtrot is the album that we need after 9-11. And I'm like, mm. I, don't tell me what album I need after 9-11. I'll tell you what album I need after 9-11. Yeah, I mean, there were, there were a lot of albums at that yeah. time, the, the yeah. post 9-11 era of like, you know, this is about 9-11 or this is a, this is a, um, People were gravitating to albums in different ways. And I found mm-hmm. Yankee Hotel Foxtrot to be good, but I didn't think it was the world beater that a lot of people did. And so it sort of exacerbated all of these annoyances that I had about like history has chosen the wrong artist of these two. What is wrong with people? <laughs> to, to wind this down, um, it was actually Sky Blue Sky. Sky Blue Sky was the album that turned it around for me. And that's also in some ways a controversial opinion because I, at that time, was very much of the opinion, I don't need Jeff to put a lot of stuff on his albums to make me think that he's an artist. Mm-hmm. I think that actually mm-hmm. the stripping down that happened in Sky Blue Sky, and I like Yankee Hotel Foxtrot, and I like A Ghost is Born, I like both of those albums, but I think that a lot of my uh, peers too easily latched onto the idea of like, well, now you see they're really experimental. They're not just some alt-country group. Right. Now they're playing with all this stuff in the studio and they're really, this idea, and I mentioned this in the book, of like, this was a thing. In the early 2000s, it was like, they're the American Radiohead. I'm like, no, they're not. Like, that's, that. everything I was saying before about like pigeonholing a band, there was such a stupid comparison yeah. with respect to my colleagues. It was a stupid way to describe that group. And it was a, a, a misunderstanding of what is artistic or more daring. One of the things I really like in the book is including a quote that Jeff Tweedy made at the time or gave at the time about Sky Blue Sky, which is that essentially people give me all this credit for Yankee Hotel Foxtrot being this like really experimental, like, you know, artistic album, but Sky Blue Sky is so much harder to make. It is so much yeah. harder to make simpler music than is stuff with a lot of like, like oral stuff, oral stuff yeah. kind of going around in it. Right. And I kind of feel the same way. Sky Blue Sky was the album that made me go. I really just love these songs. I really, yes. really love these songs. Of course, conversely, yeah. a lot of people kind of jumped off at that point. 
Anyway, I, that is a very long answer to say. I told my editor, if you are okay with me writing a book about Wilco, where I own up to that at the beginning, in the intro, mm-hmm. and also I am... I mean, I've done this. I, I've written three music books now. I wrote one about eels. I wrote, wrote one about Wilco. I've written one about Public Enemy. And then with all three books, I've said, if you will allow me to be critical of the artist in the book and talk about stuff I think that works and stuff that doesn't work, I will write a Wilco book because what I'm interested in is how Wilco has come to symbolize a lot of stuff in terms of yeah. American music, uh, alt country, um, Dad rock, how it's how you know Wilco is a very interesting conduit in terms of yes. writing a bunch of stuff about the evolution of music from the '90s into the early 2000s and then beyond. And I'm going to write it about Wilco. I'm not going to have it just be like a. I'm going to dig into the albums and talk to people who worked on these albums with these yes. with with this band. But those are the things I'm interested. In. And God bless my editor. He said, "Yeah, I I, I want that. Do that." Yeah, and so. It, it, I was very, very, very appreciative that you guys liked the book because I was a little nervous. I mean, the book's 10 years old now, but I was nervous when the book came out that, that Wilco fans would be like, why is this guy writing a book? Uh, but I like, what I like about the book so much, what I'm, what I'm proud of in the book, is I think that the book is, it comes from somebody who I would describe as the loyal opposition, who really came to respect the hell out of Wilco by writing mm-hmm. about them and came yeah. to go, this is not my all-time favorite band, but there's a lot of stuff that I missed along the way. And I think it freed me up to say, I'm not beholden to saying, well, Yankee Hotel Foxtrot is a masterpiece, clearly, because everybody knows yeah. that it is. I was the one that said, well, you know, it's it's good. And there's a lot of really good stuff in it. But hold on a second. This is also really good. And that's really good. And this thing is kind of overrated. And hey, Jay Bennett did get kind of a get kind of a short shift uh, in the group. And, and because I didn't interview uh, the members of the band, I reached out to them, but they of course did the book with Greg Cott, which is a tremendous book. I love Greg Cott's book. It's so, so good. But Greg Cott's book freed me from having to write that book. I didn't have to, I didn't have to. And, and Greg was nothing, but I, I reached out to him uh, you know, in terms of just asking him a couple things, in terms of talking to them, he was nothing but generous and kind. But Greg's book was so good in its way, in terms of being so close to the band, that I could be more a step removed, yeah, and be and have that that outside perspective yes. in terms of talking about I, the band. Yeah. yeah, it sounds like you're kind of describing my approach to this podcast. Tim, <laughs> is uh, yeah. Lance might be like the Greg Cott, and and I'm more of uh, <laughs> you know taking this uh, new new. Uh, approach and trying to figure out where I stand with Wilco. So that's funny. Mm, yeah. And, <laughs> and just to say now to put you two guys on the spot again, you were so, uh, I, I was, I was very touched by what you wrote in terms of like how much mm. you like the book, but I'm also completely open to things where you're like, how could you possibly have said that? <laughs> I, I am, I'm, I, I don't mind having talking about that as well. If there's anything you're like, you missed the boat on this album or this song or this era. Um, because it's, it's been, it's been interesting to sort of hear from different eras uh-huh. of Wilco fandom in terms yep, of maybe yep. how they feel about the book or whatever. It, so just to throw that out there, I'm, I'm you don't you yeah you, you gloves can be off. It's totally fine. I'm totally happy to <laughs> I, talk about what you guys want to talk about. Honestly, I don't have any criticisms. I absolutely love this book, and uh, I think one of the things I I'm drawn to about Sunken Treasure 
is I, I don't know if I, I don't think I speak for most Wilco fans when I say I agree with you that the current lineup um, is my favorite. And I've seen you've had like a little bio on your blog. I forget where I read it, but you said, I, I like this post Ghost is Born era. Um, and I, yeah, for whatever reason, I feel like most of the time they're, they're viewed less favorably than right. the Jay Bennett era. And I don't, I mean, I love that era. Don't get me wrong, but they are kicking ass right now with that lineup. And I don't know. I'm just, I'm eating up what they, what they put out. And the fact that your book, you know, explored sky blue sky, uh, whole love. That was some of my favorite parts of the book. Um, so yeah, I, I'm really grateful. Yeah. yeah that's, that's, yeah, I, I'm, yeah. Uh, Sky Blue Sky is still the album I listen to the most. Um, it, it is the one I, which may not mean it's the best, but it is the one I find myself turning to um, yeah. the most. It is, yeah. and this stuff is also, you know, you know, when you're a critic, you have to think objectively about these things and write objectively about them. But uh, the where you are in your life makes a difference too. I got married in 2006. Mm. That's mm-hmm. around the time Sky Blue Sky came out. It is impossible for me to separate uh, that stuff. Um, yes. Uh, in, in the, in the episode about, uh, about hate, uh, you know, hated here came up, uh, in the, in that conversation. I, yeah. uh, I, those songs, I think, you know, and I, I, I mentioned this in the book. One of the things that Jeff Tweedy has talked about is like, I wanted to write some songs for my wife because I have written some songs in the past um, that she has not liked about our relationship. And I very much look at sky blue sky as this is the, this is the one for his wife in a very yeah. open, like I'm just talking to you and when I not hated here. I, I very much enjoyed the conversation about is hated here based on something. Uh, right. I think it's an exaggeration of maybe uh, the type of thing, but I think, um, yeah, anybody who's been in a relationship, can recognize the contours of mm-hmm. that. And there are many things I listen to in sky blue sky and think I know that I get yes. that. And, and somebody else would have a different impression depending on where they were in their life versus what albums they heard of Wilco. I think that's one of the strengths of Wilco, frankly, is that if you, if you are more inclined to uh, be moved by sky blue sky, they have a sky blue sky. You're in luck. They have that album. If yes. you want something that's a little, uh, a little more kind of abrasive, maybe uh, Ghost is Born is there mm-hmm. is there for you, and that works well. If you just want something that's sort of like kickback, kind of laid back, kind of countryish sort of thing, being there exists. Uh, you know, the yeah. new album also exists, and that yep. also rules. They they have these like moods and phases, which is kind of nice. Mm-hmm. I'm mm-hmm. I'm I'm going to. Pr- probably always be a sky blue sky guy i nice i i I do sort of feel that album uh i i just feel that album deeper yeah Yeah. in 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 certain ways which not say i don't like other albums but it's it 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 cuts deeper because i i kind Mm -hmm. of feel like yeah i i i I know the stuff that's on that album i I understand put it this way um there are songs in the album that lyrically are kind of opaque. I fill in the gaps very uh, easily. I fill in the blanks of those songs because I know what he's talking about. Yeah, nice. That's kind of funny. I kind of straddle. So my, I think I mentioned this in our first 
episode. Ghost is Born was my very first introduction to Wilco back in 2004, and I was uh, I was in high school at the time, um, and so I kind of had this like I was all in on Ghost is Born, and then for whatever reason just kind of like stopped paying attention to Wilco, and then I came back to them with Sky Blue Sky. So I kind of have like a love for both of those albums, and they're so sonically different. Um, mm-hmm. But like I can come to both of those albums, and they, you know, they speak to a different time in my life. Uh, but yeah. to your point, yeah, that's what I have been enjoying about kind of revisiting these other blind spots. Is there's kind of something for everybody in some some respects. Yeah, I, and I also think that um, it's also funny because you know. There's a whole dad rock conversation to have be had, you know, and and I I think that um, one of the knocks on Sky Blue Sky was you know, oh, geez, now it's just kind of, yeah. If if Yankee Hotel Foxtrot was incorrectly labeled as experimental or and not that's not experimental, but I think like you know there are other artists that are doing more experimental stuff in the experimental space. And so it's like to say it's experimental doesn't mean like, no, they, they put some sonic stuff on there that they didn't have in their earlier albums. If that album was incorrectly labeled as experimental, Sky Blue Sky was incorrectly labeled as uh, laid back or yeah. boring or dad rock. Um, and, yes. Yes. and both of them are, I think, interestingly reductive ways of looking at those records. Um, and... You know, it's, it's you know it's been a while since I I wrote the book and I was going back and rereading the Sky Blue Sky chapter and there's a few things in there where I'm just like I'm so glad Jeff said that I'm so glad you know these these, these are interviews I you know I, I pulled from other sources but you know people in the in the band talking about like this whole dad rock thing like I'm ten times way more stressed as a dad than I ever was, when I was <laughs> like when I was young like, yeah. this idea that that dad rock was um uh, you're just like kicking back and have you know you sit yeah. on your porch and like being boring. I mean, I, I just lazy. Yeah. I, kinda, I mean, I, I guess like theoretically I understand that, but like, yeah. again, like the dads that I know, um, that is not the life they have. Now you can make the argument that what that dad rock sort of pejorative means is that like, they just want stuff that's not that complicated because their yeah. lives otherwise are so complicated. And that's fair. It just became a, before there was okay boomer there was dad rock as a way of telling people uh you're old and boring and we don't want you doing stuff anymore you're like behind the times um mm-hmm. i am not a dad uh i have i have god kids um and I'm, i have nieces and nephews so maybe i'm into uncle rock i don't know but um <laughs> it's a new me, thing yeah again i'm i'm coming up with new things my my public enemy adele album i'm working yeah, on and yeah. uncle rock perfect, i'm inventing perfect. so many things i'm, I'm trademarking these as we speak you're, so if you you're get, full of surprises yeah if you try taking these i will sue i am very litigious <laughs> um but um but, what's fun, <laughs> but um i i think for me with sky blue sky it's just there is so much yes it's a little more laid back but there is so much um weary kind of beauty and anguish in that album. I mean, we haven't even talked about this stuff and you've talked about it on the podcast about like, uh, there's a song to his dad about the fact that his mom is dead. I mean, like this is not nothing that there's, there's a lot of like stuff in that album about, Mm. um, the passage of time, 
things that last, things that matter, things that are yeah. gone. It's yeah. not like Wilco wasn't writing about this stuff beforehand, but I would say that the 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 spareness in certain ways of sky blue sky makes it impossible to miss that stuff and yes. there is such a a feeling of um hey i'm just talking to you and right. uh and again that's a a sonic style that's as overused perhaps as hey let's throw a lot of oral gunk on this to make it sound experimental and edgy both of those are gimmicks and conceits and like that but I think that Sky Blue Sky Pound for Pound affects me deeper than Yankee yeah. Hotel or even Ghost is Born, which I also like how Ghost is Born, you know, as he said, like, you know, it's him trying to replicate what a migraine feels like, mm. um, you know, which is a, you know, a risky way to make an album in certain ways. Like, I want you, right. I want this album to sound like a headache. I mean, that's, you know, <laughs> I wouldn't, if, if there are any, like, you know, people starring bands uh, listening to this, I may not advise that as a career move, but, you know, Jeff Tweedy's talented enough that he can do that. But Sky Blue Sky, um, it feels the way other albums do that I may, that mm-hmm. I really appreciate, which are, hey, I'm a little bit older and, Maybe I've mellowed slightly, but there's a lot of stuff under the surface. If you just spend a couple minutes listening to this and thinking about this, um, it will come through. I mean, listen, I adore Steely Dan. I mean, that's a very contentious, you know, are you a Steely Dan guy or you're not? But I love Steely Dan. When some, I don't forget who even said this at the time, but Sky Blue Sky came out and people were like, some guy I know said like, oh God, it's like their Steely Dan album. I'm like... Mm. Okay. I I think that after you make Yankee Hotel and you make uh, Ghost is Born and then you do Sky Blue Sky, yes, it's a move towards a more stripped down sound. But there was something I thought that was so emotionally pure about the album as well that didn't feel like a a back to basics roots move kind of thing. There was more kind of going on in there. So. Right. Right. Yeah. So this book was published, I believe, two, 2013. Obviously, since then, the, the book ended with Whole Love, and now we've got Star Wars, Schmilko, Ode to Joy, Cruel Country. We're, we're curious, like, throughout the release of these other albums, has your relationship to the band changed or evolved? Yeah, it is. I think we were talking about this a little bit beforehand, but one of the things that happens, at least for me, when I write one of these big music books is that um, it's a lot of work. I love it to death and I am utterly consumed with it for months and months and months. Hmm. And then the book comes out and I find myself kind of like needing a break from that artist <laughs> for sure. a little while. Sure. Yeah. And um, cause you just, you know, you, 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 you get sick to death of it after a while <laughs> or, and you, you stop being able to hear it. Because it's yeah. just, you know it's so calcified in your in your right. ear and your brain. Yes, which is my way of saying that I have liked everything that they've done since, but I don't know if I've loved anything that they've done since. And that's why I've actually really enjoyed one of the elements I've enjoyed about the, your guys' podcast is hmm. you recommending songs or the themed shows, mentioning songs off of Ode to Joy or, or whatever, yeah. because I have for obvious reasons, not listen to any of those as much as I've listened to the albums that I wrote about. Um, (laughs) And I would say that, yes, this lineup, I still like the most. I still like the most, but I don't know 
if the albums um, can surprise me as much mm. as the stuff. I, I think it's one of the challenges. You know, we've had this whole beautiful conversation about giving Sky Blue Sky a chance and really kind of listening below the surface. Yeah. That all being said, when I listen to something like Cruel Country, it takes me back to earlier Wilco albums. Yeah. Yep. It doesn't necessarily feel as um, as distinctive a new direction or a new thing as they've done in the past, which is not necessarily a criticism. It is an right. inevitable thing that artists go through that you are going to, at some point, two albums in, ten albums in, who knows, you will, for better or worse, repeat yourself in certain ways because you are who you are Mm -hmm. and you are not going to be able to fundamentally change that unless you're like, you know, I'm going to do my hip hop album now. If Jeff Tweedy is listening, I do not recommend you doing your hip hop album, but like you cannot, there is a, there is a strength to be had in knowing who you are as Uh an artist at a certain point. And I can listen, you know, to the more recent stuff and still admire it and enjoy it. But the the sort of the surprise of the new is not necessarily there as it once was mm-hmm. for me. And so I find myself more uh, sort of zooming into a couple songs per album that mean yep. a lot to me. Um, yeah. I'm so I'm so scared. I'm gonna blank on it, but uh, many worlds off of the new album is something that I return to a ton and really enjoy. Do I listen to it and think, "Oh, this kind of makes me think of Impossible Germany"? Yeah, mm. it does. Yeah. It yeah. does. And mm. but I, I but I but I go to it and I listen to it, and so I find myself more uh, gravitating to certain songs as opposed to certain albums. The full album. Now. Yes. Um, yes. And that's kind of true, I would say, of the Jeff Tweedy solo stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, you know, the, the, the sort of like the side stuff that he's also done as well, right. where it is, it is always of, it's always of like high quality, but it is high quality that does not necessarily make me think, oh, this is this is really like exciting and new. It is all right. part of a larger thing. I think the value of somebody like Jeff Tweedy and Wilco now is there's such a history there, and there's so mm-hmm. much. Like, you know, it's it 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 doesn't sound like sky blue sky. It doesn't right. sound like being there. It doesn't sound like AM, but it's part of something. It's part right. of something. And I think when a band is lucky enough to be around as long as Wilco has, there is that continuation of that. It's a large, a larger, longer conversation with yeah. an audience, with a fan base, in terms of, you know, I going back to the beginning, talking about, you know, the before trilogy from Richard Linklater. Mm. I'm also a big fan of Boyhood, which of course, as you've mentioned, has a Wilco song in it. Um, but, but certainly like Boyhood or the before films, there is something that's really kind of um, moving about, let's check back in on Jeff every two or three years and see what's going on with him, where he's in, because you've had this long history with him now and what he's talked about. And even if he's hiding behind, you know, poetic metaphors or whatever, you kind of know that dude 
in a certain yeah. way. Not really knowing yeah. him, you in some ways you do. And so yeah. a new album is sort of a chance to check in on an old friend, which is an annoying cliche, mm-hmm. which I would never mm-hmm. allow in anything I, I write. I like that. But it's true. That's you what can, it you is. You can get like final that. cut on the, on the podcast if you want to. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it's totally fine. But, you know, but that's what it is. I mean, you are checking in with a buddy. And that I, is, you know, it, it's kind of the way that Jeff looks now. He's got mm. the big beard. He's got the yeah. glasses. He's got the graying hair, um, which yep. I do as well. So I get it. Um, it's there is something to be said for longevity, which is a yes, very unrock and roll thing. But there is something um, as somebody who you know loves Randy Newman and loves older artists who are still mm-hmm. doing like really good work. I'm, I you know. We talked about maturity earlier in the conversation. There's something to be said for getting over the idea that, like, oh man, dying at 27 is amazing. Like that's right. yeah, like that's right. that's such a rock and roll thing to do. Right. Um, yeah, I uh, I am very happy for the artists I still have, and yeah. if they're yeah, continuing yeah. if they're continuing to do good work and are still being true to themselves, and I think that's true of Jeff. Yeah. Um, I think that they don't have to make as great music as they used to for me to still respect and admire and enjoy what they yes, do. And I yes. think that's the thing. And I think it started with Sky Blue Sky, to be perfectly honest. Though mm-hmm. I think that is a, 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 a sonic directional change for them. I think in some ways, Sky Blue Sky said, um, this is the thing that we're going to do now. This is yeah. kind of who we are. And not every album has sounded like Sky Blue Sky afterwards. Right. But I think it sort of ended the, the era of... Um, what's this album going to be about? What, or, or, yep. what, or rather, what is this album? How is it going to be markedly different? You know, and sometimes it's like we record everything live in the studio, or the, the, Jeff will impose, impose isn't the right word, create different types of uh, settings and scenarios yep. for how they make their albums. But it's not like, okay, now we're making our punk album. Now we're making our, uh, right. you know, like feedback. Uh, you know, drony kind of record. They're they're not doing that, and I don't right. need them to do yep. that. It's more like uh, these are songs. I'm pretty good at writing these. Please enjoy the songs I write, and that's that's fine. So, so to yeah. answer the question, it's like there isn't a single album since then that I thought, oh, this is the great missed Wilco album. I don't yeah. feel that necessarily. Um, I think their earlier stuff is ultimately stronger than the more recent stuff. But um, but I, I almost don't feel like that's a criticism in certain ways. Yeah. In some ways, I've kind of come to accept that in certain artists that, that I appreciate or admire. Yeah. Yeah. They it, Tim, you kind of tease this apart in the book too, that it, it feels like there's been this uh, unspoken expectation on Wilco to surprise me each time. And if you don't surprise me greatly, then it's a bummer of an album. And we referenced a quote from your book on our first episode where you were just reflecting on, man, there's something about being able to, to age gracefully with a band. Wilco's doing that beautifully. As we get older as listeners, we're able to to check in on our buddy to, to borrow your metaphor. Right. And uh, it's just... I don't know. There, there's something not flashy about that, and yet uh, deeply comforting and, and deeply human. I'd say. I yeah. think you, you use the word consistent there. Yeah. They're, they're a consistent band. Yeah, and I, I think that it's it's also a trap 
to get smug about getting older. I think there's always a trap of being like, well, I'm so much wiser than you because I've lived longer. That That's also a trap um, yeah. to think you know more because you're older. And I would say that I think that this band has mostly uh, escaped that problem. Uh, mm. Even even the song on Wilco, the album, where they kind of tease you know younger people in terms of being the end of the world, like that is done with such affection that I'm like, yeah, that, that's an older person's perspective, saying like, don't worry, kids, it's going to be okay, it's going to be okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but I think that there is something to be said for. Um, it's often said in terms of artists across the board, whether whatever discipline they're in, that in some ways as you get older, um, simpler becomes a thing that you really sort of aspire to. Yeah. Realizing, I don't need this, I don't need this, in terms of how you create your art. And I think that's uh, very much true in terms mm. of what Wilco does now, that there is a... Um, it's not like all the songs are really kind of simple, but there's almost a, a pairing away of, oh, I don't need to do that. I don't need to do that. I don't need yeah. this or that or whatever. I mean, what would be interesting is if they had never done like a, a Yankee Hotel Foxtrot or a Ghost is Born and they tried to do it now. What that yeah. would be like at the age that they are now, but I think it was the period when it was made that that's why it was made when it was done. Yes. And th there is something to be said for, as you get older, um, uh, as an artist, just kind of deciding, you know, again, for better or for worse, you know who you are, you know, what your yeah. strengths are, you know, what you're yep. good at. And not that you're not still trying to push yourself, but understanding th this is, this is who I am and this is the type of stuff I want to, mm -hmm. um, that I kind of want to make, you know, um, yep. in the world. So, yeah, it's um, and it's funny. I, I'm curious for you guys because you you've seen the band more recently than I have. The last yeah. time I saw them, I'm gonna, I'm gonna forget the order, and I meant to look this up and I forgot. But um, the last time I saw them as a band was for the whole love. It was for that tour uh, here in Los Angeles, and I saw Jeff Tweedy solo. Uh, at this place called Largo, which is uh, kind of a famous place where comedy, like comedians and stand-ups uh, perform, but also you get musicians doing like solo stuff and, and cool things. And Jeff Tweedy did a solo show that I also went to see, which was, you know, the laugh riot that those always are. If you've mm. never been to a Jeff Tweedy solo thing, he's much looser and yeah. just kind of jokes around and messes up songs and, you know, <laughs> and kind of fumbles through things. And it, it, you know, it was the perfect place to see it because Largo is sort of a comedy space and he was incredibly, incredibly funny. But both of those mm. were around the same time. I think Jeff Tweedy was a little bit more recently, but not that much more recently. So I, but you guys have seen the band, I feel yeah. like, more recently live. Um, Solid Sound was my first, actual first time seeing Wilco live and the last time I've seen them. So, yeah. And what year was that? What year uh, was that? Was that was last, uh, last May, 2022. Okay. So it was, uh, yeah. they actually released Cruel Country uh, the Friday of uh, when it's all when they played the show. Yeah. So they played the whole album start to finish. And then the yeah. next night, we thought we were going to get no Cruel Country. And then they played more cruel country. So some people had thoughts on that. Um, me and Lance may have different opinions on that, but uh, yeah, yeah, that was the last time and my only time seeing Wilco. But yeah, 
Lance yeah. has a whole laundry list of. Yeah. <laughs> He's it's been it. over 10 times. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Um, well, Tim, before we, before we sign off, I just want to, um, we want, we do want to go through some lightning round questions, but uh, you know, because the band has released a, you know, decent amount of albums since this book came out, we were curious, it, will there ever be a updated version of this book? <sighs> That's a good question. We haven't, we haven't talked about it, so I don't know um, if my publisher was interested. I would, I would probably be interested. I mean, mm-hmm. I I only hesitate because a book is always a lot of work, mm-hmm. and I'm always very. You were you were kind to use you guys are kind to use a, f- a phrase respectful, you know, mm. in terms of that is something that I don't go into lightly, and I would want to make sure that. I gave it the same kind of passion that I gave it, you know, there is something to be said about like, once you do something like this, it's hard to go back. It's hard to go back. You know, in the movie world, uh, making sequels is nothing because uh, people like money. And so they make more and more (laughs) of the same thing, but the, the sequel or a follow-up to a book or an expanded edition would be, um, It'd be something I would have to t- think about really kind of seriously in terms of, because I'm at a different place in my life in terms of sure. where I want to to still do it. But I have to say, you just asking me that, Lance, I'm kind of like, gosh, that would be really kind of interesting. Because it wouldn't just be the second half of the book that would be different. In some ways, it would change what's already there mm-hmm. in terms of what we know about the band, how they've changed since then. Yeah. Are the are the, the, the more the, the, the earlier albums... Do I hear them differently because of the more recent stuff and the stuff that Jeff has been through since then? Yeah. And I don't know. And that's so it's it's not mm. it wouldn't be simply being writing about the new albums. It would mm-hmm. also be like going back and thinking about the earlier albums and the overall narrative. Because um, when you right. write a book like this, it's not just going album by album. Though I did do that, it's also like what is the overarching story here? Yeah. What's this book actually about? You know, and so in some uh, ways I'd have to also think about what would that book be about? Yeah. So so And the uh, ways the, that you've potentially changed your mind, like you you said earlier. Yeah. 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 It's so funny. I haven't been asked that in quite some time. It is funny how I'm simultaneously like that would be a lot of work and it would be a huge commitment and a huge responsibility. And that's the thing you always have to say about these books. You feel a huge responsibility to get mm. it right in terms of how you feel. Because you know a, a fan base is going to read it and be like, what? What's this guy talking about? There's a responsibility, but at the same time, like, it would be fun. It's yeah. an interesting challenge yeah. all these years later to go back and think about this stuff um, and really kind of dig in um, again. So there hasn't been any conversation about it, but... Um, well, if if they brought it up, I would definitely, I would. We're starting the conversation right now. From from <laughs> one it. fan to another, I, that would be a book I would happily pick out. I really appreciate that. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, <laughs> Tim, have you? I'm just curious. Have you ever met the band? Has the band ever commented on the book? As far as I know, the band has never commented on. I reached out uh, to their management at the time to ask if they'd be interested in participating. They sent back a polite note saying. No, but best of luck with it type of thing, which is very common with these types of things. Okay. And I don't think I've ever seen them 
comment on it. I've never met I've never met any of the guys um okay. in the band. So um it's very much is is very much just like a, a regular fan's perspective in a lot of ways. I don't have any sort of like intimate like, oh I had dinner with Jeff that one time and we were talking about <laughs> this, that and the other. So no, I've I've never met I've never met any of the guys. Okay. You never spilled scared him and caused him to spill salad. No. <laughs> this is how we met him. <laughs> no, I haven't That's done a that. Deep cut there. I, I also I also have not uh mistaken Jeff for an usher at the Grammys. So <laughs> I, I was very happy that you brought up that story. That's one of my all time favorite uh Jeff oh Tweedy stories of I'm just a regular dude. What am I doing here? Uh yeah. at the Grammys uh kind of story. My argument is I don't think he actually looks like an usher. I guess it depends on how much facial hair he actually has, because I feel like those guys are usually more clean shaven and put together. Yeah. It and looks I feel more like, like a stagehand, like he'd be you know, yeah, lights I, or... I, I, I would almost be more like, Are you Backstage. lost? Like should you yeah. actually shouldn't you be up in the cheap seats? Because you right. definitely he would be dressed up enough perhaps to look like he belonged but i've always been kind of because he he loves trotting out that story and it's it's a very because it's puff daddy too is also it's such so a good. great yeah that's a great yeah at, <laughs> at solid sound this past year he said he he thinks of himself looking like a crumpled up 20 dollar bill which <laughs> yeah can, he's always wearing that green jacket <laughs> yeah that's um that, that that's a fair assessment i think yeah yeah <laughs> Morgan, you want to kick us off with some questions? We'll we'll start to wrap up here, Tim, uh, with our lightning round. And uh, our first question for you is, what is your favorite Wilco song? My favorite is Impossible Journey. This was still new to me. I wouldn't understand. Impossible Germany, unlikely Japan. That, that is yeah. that is a uh, yeah. It's it's my favorite. It's been my favorite for quite some time. Um, I find it endlessly replayable and enjoyable. Yes, and and, and and the most lyrical, lovely thing they've ever done. I get emotional when I do get to see that in concert. I mean, just you know, it, it, you know, it's coming, but also the uniqueness. Every time he plays, it's a little different. Every performance yeah. is different. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I was, I'm, I'm happy to do this lightning round, but I also would love to hear any of your answers to some of these questions. Because I don't think you've covered all of these necessarily on the on the podcast. But yeah, Impossible Germany. I just yeah. yeah. I, I I saw I saw it when I saw it went to the whole love tour, and I was so happy because it just yeah. it always sort of takes off, and you don't know exactly where it's going to land, and mm. that's part of the beauty of it. Um, yes. Yes. Um, I'm a I'm a big fan of of television, especially uh, Marquee Moon, and. There's such a marquee moon quality to that yeah. song, and I just, yeah, it's, mm. it's, 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 just, and when you hear those opening notes, it's like, oh, it's, mm-hmm. yes, it's beautiful. Yeah. Mm. 
the whole love is an album specifically tim that reminds me of my time in la because that came out i want to say 2011 right Mm -hmm. yeah yeah and i was i was like freshly married in la and like that that's a soundtrack to my my la years i love i love Mm -hmm. how music can harken back to a specific time in life Absolutely. Yeah, it, it, it's yeah. it's it's drilled into your brain, and it can't yeah. like you can't let it go. It's very, it's yeah. both great and terrible sometimes, depending on what the, <laughs> the association is. But yeah, yeah. it's it's yeah. sometimes permanently implanted in there. Absolutely, Tim. I'll just say that was Morgan's answer as well. Uh, favorite Wilco song, Impossible so, Germany. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Nels is a such an important, incredibly important addition. Yeah. to that group in terms of just, I mean, I, it can't be said enough just what he brought mm. and continues to bring. Uh, and also he's the one collaborator. I feel like that, um, that Jeff has been able to kind of coexist with in certain yeah. ways. You yeah. Know? Um, Cause there's obviously there's been friction in the past, but mm-hmm. Nels has been this, this thing that's added Add to the band, and mm-hmm. and Jeff has figured out how to use him in a great way, and they've been able to coexist, which is also yeah. a sign of maturity, I would argue. Yeah, yeah. and and Nell, you know, on that point, a phenomenal musician, and from what I see of Nell's interviews, as well as having met him a couple times, he's just an incredibly humble man. You know, like he he has every right to be incredibly arrogant, but <laughs> he he's just such a gracious human being. Um, Tim, what about most underrated Wilco album? So, you know, you were nice enough to give me these questions ahead of time. And I was thinking, it depends on the, on the Wilco fan you're talking to. I'm not going to talk about Sky Blue Sky anymore. I think some people in my life, I still have to go, no, 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 that one. But since we talked about that enough, um, and it's not because we just talked about this one, um, I would actually go with the whole love. I feel like it's sort of in between eras. It's mm. it's not like the early, I don't know, whatever you want to bracket off as the classic Wilco era. It's not there, but it's not the more, you know, it's not Ode to Joy. It's not it's not new anymore. But I think that the whole love is, um, in terms of the depth of the songwriting, um, incredible opening song, incredible closing song. Um, one of the things I was most grateful for in terms of being able to write the book was being able to, to write about that closing track mm-hmm. on whole love, because it is, there's so much in that and it's just so beautiful and it's just so, such a, the, 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 the muted quality of that song and the intensity and the sustained quality of that song. I really love. And, yeah. you know, um, uh, I, you know, on your guys's, um, Instagram account, you have the, uh, uh, the, the, the Popeye inspired video. Yeah, I mean, there, there's so, me. there's yeah. so many good songs on the whole love, but you know, it depends on, you know, it's always sort of a sort of anecdotal, but I feel like whole love is some, something that's not talked about quite as much. Mm. I think in some ways it suffers from, well, this album doesn't have like a concept that you can easily wrap your head around. It's just sort of like, here are uh, lots of good songs. Some of them are yes. very long. Some of them are, are more like, you know, more traditional length, but, um, and also yes. whole love is, um, I love that song. Yeah, as well. that's one title of my track I think is songs. really great. Yeah. yeah. And so, yeah. so that would be my pick for, for I, underrated. 
love that answer. Love we we both said Star Wars, but that was one that I almost referenced. And mm-hmm. I, I love Pat Sansone coming in trying to make a headphone record with that one. It's <laughs> it's so good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I yeah, Star Wars is is one I I half like. I I, I, I there's there's songs I really 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 like, and there's other songs I'm more like eh, that don't do as much for me. But there's really and I always kind of wondered if it backfired on them calling it Star Wars. Mm. I think in some ways it was like, wait, is this a, are they making fun of joke? Star Wars yeah. movies? Like, what is this? And, and they had a couple, a couple jokey titles, right? Because then they had Schmilko. And, yeah. and it's like, I think I, I, you, I will, my vow to this podcast is I will give Star Wars another try. I will listen to nice. it again. I will listen to it again this week in terms of... We've uh, succeeded. <laughs> in, giving, in giving Star Wars its day in court again. I will, I yeah. will give it another shot. Perfect. So, yeah. Perfect. All right, Tim. What's your favorite opening track on a Wilco album? Um, this was incredibly hard um, because I was actually thinking they're very good at opening tracks. And mm. specifically what they do really well is I think Jeff does a really good job, especially in the first half of their career, being like... This is our new sound. This is our new sound with the opening track. So uh, I almost went with Art of Almost because I actually really love how that song is like, like you want something that's kind of challenging and abrasive. Here you go. Um, yeah. I I like I Am Trying to Break Your Heart. Um, I also really like I Must Be High. Um, and mm. I also really love Either Way. But the one I finally settled on and this might be a weird choice, but I love, love, love this song, especially as an opening. I love Airline to Heaven. Um, because it does a thing that I love, which is that the song fades in and Mm. it's almost as if, because I think for most people we thought, oh, Mermaid Avenue, fantastic album, but they're only going to make one of these. Mm. And then they found out, oh, there's going to be a second one. And the fact that that song kind of fades in, it's almost like, you left the show because you thought the, the show was over and then they came back and they did another song. You're like, wait, Ooh. there's another song. But beyond that, I just love, it's, it's a, it's such an upbeat, um, it's such an upbeat, happy making song. I find it, um, it, it's maybe not as sonically accomplished as some of the other opening tracks I just mentioned as my honorable mentions, but I always, it, is this way when I shuffle through my music or through my Wilco music specifically and that one comes on it always like it, mm, it perks me up in a way yeah. yeah and so I found myself kind of just going with my heart as opposed to good what what what, what song is the most because I think I am trying to break your heart is the most like 
oh wow, what is this exactly? Um, yeah. But I, I'm going to go with Airline to Heaven. Yeah. I'm, I'm very, right. You guys haven't talked about this on the podcast. Maybe I've missed it on an episode because I haven't listened to every episode yet. But have you talked about your favorite opening tracks? What What were yours? Yes, I, I did say Art of Almost. So heard you about to choose that one. Yeah. 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 yeah and I, I chose uh, at least that's what you said. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. It's it's really an impossible choice because we didn't even mention Misunderstood. I mean, yes. what an incredible song. And um, yeah, it's you can't go wrong with that with that one. Great answer. Yeah. I would say at least that's what you said is one of my favorite uh, Jeff Tweedy guitar moments mm. when it just like erupts into that. Absolutely. Yeah, it's I mean, they, they very much I don't know if Jeff's ever talked about this, but his the opening tracks always feel like um almost thesis statements or mm. like this is this is the sound now. This is the thing yeah. that we're doing now. And it kind of and it doesn't like ease you into those albums. It's like this sounds like this. This is what it sounds like, so you're gonna have to yeah. deal with Get it. On board. And the fact yeah. that e- yeah. The fact that either way starts off so such a plaintive guitar sound. It it feels like okay, take a breath. Like, yeah, that's what it feels like. And that's what that album feels like in a lot of ways. Yeah. That question. I love that you guys asked me that because it really gave me a different way to appreciate Wilco in terms of mm. how opening tracks, because they very rarely, I would say, except for summer teeth. And it's worth noting. I didn't mention that as one of them because I actually don't like the opening track of summer teeth. All that much. <laughs> they, 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 their albums usually don't open with, and here's the hit. Right. Yeah. Like it doesn't feel like here's the song that will get you into the album. Like it's more like <laughs> this is this is a, a thing that we're doing and it may be longer than you're expecting, but we kind of don't care. We're just yep. doing this. Yeah. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. It's one of the great benefits of a band like Wilco is it very rarely. And this is why the whole Yankee Hotel Foxtrot story is sort of hilarious is like the label didn't like it because there wasn't a hit single. I mean, it's like. If you can do what Wilco has done and basically not have a hit single, I mean, like, <laughs> like what's the like, what's their hit? Like, they don't have that. If you can right. sustain a career and not have like, well, we did Heart of Gold and that was a big hit, and so everybody loves Heart of Gold. Like, they don't have a Heart of Gold. They don't. Yeah. They don't have a Heart of Gold to, to reference Randy Newman. They don't have a, a short people. They don't have like one song that people are like, oh, I I at least know yeah. that one song that yep. people might want to hear as show, you kind of have the whole world that you can kind of do whatever you want. You can yeah. do, you can play your whole new album, which is a pretty long album. For you can do all, all yeah. of cool country. Obviously fans want to hear a certain favorites of their own, but you can kind of say like, no, this is, this is Wilco this year. This is, this is what we're playing, you know? Right. Right. Yeah. And uh, along those lines, um, let's talk about the people that have not heard Wilco before. Cause I'm, I'm guessing each of us has, has this experience where, you know, you reference Wilco and half the people are going to say, Oh yeah, I think I've, I think I've heard of them. And then half are going to say, huh, never, I've never heard of them. If, if you were going to choose a song to recommend to someone that's never heard of Wilco and you're, you're wanting to, you know, hook them into liking the band what song are you going to choose tim so uh, my answer to the question first is what kind of music fan are they because i think Mm. it does matter 
I'm not trying to be coy about this. I think it does make no. a difference. Because I really, really like, uh, I loved your guys' questions and I spent a lot of time obsessing about them. <laughs> and but, but I think I think legitimately though, it depends on who they are. If you know that there's someone that's more leaning towards country rock or folk, I think you go with California stars. I like to rest a heavy head tonight on the bed. The California stars, I like to clean out weary bones tonight on the bed. The California stars, I love to feel your hand touching mine. Tell me why I must keep working on. Yes, I'll give my life to lay my head. Um, I think that that is the most, um, it's a weird way to describe it, but I think it's the most ingratiating Wilco song ever. It just, that guitar comes on and it just sounds like, oh, I want to listen to this. And if you know someone who is in, who would like that kind of song, I think that they would like, that's the song I would recommend in terms of Wilco. If they are more this is such a, a a loose umbrella term now, but like if there's somebody who is really into whatever you want to call indie rock or indie pop, I might go with Jesus, etc. Tall buildings shake, voices escape, singing sad, sad songs, tuned to chords, strung down your cheeks, bitter melodies, turning Don't cry You can rely on me, honey You can come by anytime you want um, It's currently the most popular song on Spotify for them. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it's a song that... Um, and what's also funny, of course, is it's on Yankee Hotel Foxtrot. But it's not... Um, and this is sort of my general kind of nitpick about Yankee Hotel Foxtrot is that and it's more of a nitpick about like the noise around the album as opposed to the album itself. But like Yankee Hotel Foxtrot is actually not that like edgy sonically. It's just slightly more experimental than the other stuff. But mm-hmm. Jesus, etc. is not an, a song where you're like, well, it's pretty abrasive. I hope you can handle it. <laughs> like, you know, it's like it's such a beautiful, ingratiating song. And yeah. so open and welcoming like i've had um some friends of mine who've been married for quite some time now um back in the day when uh married couples or when they're getting married would give you a cd uh playlist of like the songs that mean a lot to them i see a hand raised currently (laughs) yeah it's like you know like these are the songs that mean something to us as a couple and it's Uh a great thing and i love it I, i have to say just because i mentioned i am partly a music critic if i go to your wedding and you give me your playlist i will not then judge you on your playlist because the thing i love about those playlists is like i'm curious about the songs meaning something to these people and what the association is and what that's about all that is to say some friends of mine got married and jesus etc was on their playlist and i was just like because it's not a song where it's like uh, necessarily you know, songs about love. You wouldn't necessarily, but right. there's something about it's just so. 
It's just so damn pretty. And if we're yeah. talking about how do I get somebody into Wilco, I wasn't necessarily thinking about where the most representative songs of theirs, but just be like, let's give them the gateway drug to get them into listening to mm-hmm. Wilco. Yeah. So if you're if you're more kind of country rockish, maybe you go with California Stars. If you're more indie rock or indie pop, I think Jesus Etc. is what I would choose. Solid answer. Awesome. Me and Lance attempted to cover that song back in the day <laughs> when we played music together. Uh, I don't know, a C minus, I'd give ourselves. Yeah. yeah. It was fun. We had fun. It, it, was, it was fun. That's the whole point, right? What's the challenge in terms of trying to cover that song? Well, we did have a pretty solid uh, violinist play with us. It was probably the mm. best Oh, part. nice. Okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I think because it's one of Wilco's best-known songs that we, we kind of felt a pressure to do it justice. But Yeah. Yeah. It's got to kind of be them covering it. Yeah. You know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We had fun. We had fun. <laughs> All right, Tim, to, to wrap up our lightning round here, uh, what would be your Desert Island disc? And this does not have to be a Wilco album, so we're freeing you up to talk about a different band here. Okay. So I talked to my wife about this, and I said, because I was curious what her answer would be to this. And one of the things we both talked about is, are we on the desert island because something terrible has happened? Have we crash landed? <laughs> or are we vacationing? Because it actually would make a difference in terms wow. of... Let's hear both. Let's hear both. Yeah. Okay, so he, uh, you're like, boy, we just asked him the simplest questions. And no, this, just I, love this. I love it. I love yeah, it. Yeah, I listen, I am a, a list maker. I am a, I love making my top 10 at the end of the year, every year. Yeah, the, the fact that there's, you yeah. guys do a podcast with the songs about different themes is up my alley completely because I will obsess nice. over it. I mean, they only pick three songs. How can they do that? Um, <laughs> anyway, um, th- my first answer is, my simplest answer is just to say, it's not my favorite album. It's just the one I probably would want to, I don't know if you guys, if you guys are Colbert watchers, um, Colbert, but he does yeah. that thing called the Colbert Questionnaire and he asks them, mm-hmm you only have one song to listen to the rest of your life, what would it be? And it's not your favorite song. It's just the one song you'd want to have above all others. For this answer, my immediate answer was um, television's Marquee Moon, because I've been very much in that mode lately. Even before uh, Tom Verlaine died recently, I just love, love, love that album. First Side is absolutely perfect. Second I just snagged that on vinyl. Yeah. Oh, it's, I mean, the first side is, is absolutely extraordinary. It's, it is f- like a perfect side. The second side mm. is merely really, 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 really good. The first side is perfect. The second side is, is just pretty tremendous, but I've, I've been very much in a marquee moon mode over the last couple of years. I kind of discovered it late and I'm kind of like catching up. I feel like, um, so that would be one that I would pick partly because though it's mostly guitar driven rock, there are different sounds and feels and tones in it. And for mm-hmm. me, one of the, the, the things I thought about was like, I don't want to listen to one thing that's too much of the same thing. Um, yeah. So I went with that. My runners up were um, an album I always return to, which is uh, Sinead O'Connor's I Do Not Want What I Haven't Got. Um, yeah. An album I, absolutely 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 love i think she's so underappreciated and mm. um has gone through so much in her life and it's been yeah. you know there's been a, there's a very good documentary that came out last year that kind of touched on this but even so i feel like she has not been 
so shout out to Sinead O'Connor. I, she's she's going to do so out much. Of the night. <laughs> first, I was going to say, <laughs> I wanted to make sure out, I got the yeah. first one. I wanted to make yeah. sure I got the first <laughs> one because uh, you guys are so good at it. Um, but I mean, you know, before we, we, we came on, we were talking about um, mental health and mm-hmm. what Jeff Tweedy has been through in his life and how he was sort of an early person to talk about that and was very brave to do that. I feel like we, we talk about it more now, whether it's athletes or artists about mental health and how important that stuff is. And Sinead O'Connor has been somebody who has publicly, publicly suffered and dealt mm. with mental health and still deals with mental health issues. And it's been a terrible struggle uh, in her life. And I do not want, do not want when I haven't got came out in 1990. And that album breaks my heart more and more every year when I listen to it. Cause I just think about what mm. her life has been like. And then as a completely different uh, answer, um, I would say that um, the uh, modern composer and also soundtrack, uh, you know, film composer uh, Max Richter made this eight and a half album, sorry, eight and a half hour uh, conceptual album called Sleep. I don't know if you've ever heard of it, but it's an instrumental. He basically wanted huh. to make an album that mimicked sleeping for eight hours and so it it's wow. it is a it is I've, i can't claim i've listened to it from beginning to end because again it's eight and a half hours but he would do shows he would do live shows he's done them in los angeles and other places where you would come to the venue it was often outdoors you'd come to the venue basically when the sun was coming going down huh. and he would play it with his orchestra for eight and a half hours and you that you had cots and you could sleep what? and you could just like, and it's, and it's, I, I haven't been to any of the shows. I'm very, very envious of people who have gone. But the reason why I chose that is because first of all, it's gorgeous. I've, I've heard selections from it and, and, it, and it's an amazing experience to, to mm. be in a venue and hear that. Um, but if I'm on a desert Island and I have crash landed and I'm in a very stressful situation, <laughs> sleep is an album that I always find very soothing. And in fact, during the pandemic, I had at least one friend who told me that it was the thing when they were really stressed out that they would listen mm. to before they went to bed so they could actually go to sleep mm. because it puts wow. you into this like, you'd have to hear it. I can't recommend it enough, um, but it's just like, it, it, it lulls you into this incredibly yeah. soothing, comforting, because I'm not someone where it's like, I listen to that 15 hour YouTube playlist of like music to make you sleepy. Like it, it's, it's that stuff is almost a little, um, too, um, it's too passive in a way that actually kind yeah. of freaks me out. Uh, yeah. it makes me edgy <laughs> as opposed to calming me down. Yeah. And, and Max Richter's album sleep does the exact opposite. I do find it incredibly, incredibly soothing. So, uh. I might want to have that album because I could just yeah. be like, you know what? I'm stressed out. Is anybody ever going to find me? It's just me and my volleyball Wilson hanging out on this desert island. <laughs> I'm going to listen to some sleep. It's going to chill me out um, and like that. So, um, Love that. Nice. Yeah. I, so those are those are the albums that, that came to mind. Um, I'm going to give us def- some homework. Yeah, i got to check those out. Yeah, I'm going to yeah. definitely check yeah. those out. Yeah. yeah. That's awesome. I, I, I'm, I'm going to put you on the spot here, Tim, because you mentioned your top 10 albums of 2022. You, you, we, we also uh, have are part of a group <laughs> that every year shares our top 10 albums. And it's kind of arbitrary, but it's still fun to kind of reflect on the albums that kind of stuck out to you. Do you, ha- do you, have, do you have your top 10 list in front of you? Or um, you- yes, I do have it. Um, 
uh, in front of me. Um, was there any overlap? I'm curious in terms yeah. of your guys' uh, right, top so tens. I got my top ten pulled up here. Lance, I'm putting you on the spot. Um, just for 2022, you're saying? Yeah. I, I didn't make one, so okay. I'm, I'm going to just receive this blessing right now. <laughs> All, right. All right. So I'll, I'll, do, uh, I'll just go from bottom to top. Um, I really liked uh, coming in 10. I had Joe, with, which is Joe Keery. Um, you might know him from Stranger Things. Uh, put out a second album I thought was really great. Uh, coming in number nine, I thought Death Cab for Cutie's new album was actually like the first album in a while that sounded like old Death Cab. And uh-huh. I, was, I, I came of age when, when they were hitting their stride. Uh, so Asphalt Meadows. I really liked Beyonce's new album. Uh, Tori Moi's new album was great. Mahal. Uh, Love the new Phoenix album, Alpha Zulu. That was on repeat. Um, we had Coco and Claire Claire coming in. And then my top five, or my top four rather, we got Wet Leg, followed by Taylor Swift, then went Sharon Van Atten, and then coming in number one, Beach House, one of my all-time favorite bands. So nice. I, kind of all over the place there, but... Yeah, yeah. Any, any I, I like an all over the place list, um, yeah. um, and 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 several of the ones that you mentioned. We didn't have any that well, wet leg. That's the one we have with the, the overlap. Okay, but several of those were ones I were kind of my my honorable mentions. Cool. Um, cool. I I I somehow seem uh, genetically unable to get into the Beyonce album. I'm, I'm, I'm like the one <laughs> person I can't explain it. I don't know what it is. Um, it for was me, my, her my, uh, jogging album. <laughs> oh, I, I, I can understand. Yeah. Especially because yeah. there's no breaks between songs. It's just one boom, boom, yeah. boom, boom. It's like banger yeah. after banger. So I, I get that. Mm-hmm. Uh, her self-titled album is still my favorite of hers. Sure. Love, yeah, love, love. Um, yeah. Love the album. So we really, really briefly, I'll, I'll do uh, do mine. Um, number 10 uh, was Spoon's Lucifer on the Sofa. I think it was a real kind of return to form for them. Uh, number nine was uh, Sudan Archives, Natural, Bra- mm-hmm. Natural Brown Prom Queen. Um, number eight, uh, movie, an album I thought was, I guess people, I like more than most people, was, was Mitski's Laurel Hell. Um, oh, I thought it was really, yeah. really good. Great album. I love um, Mitski. Yeah. Um, yeah, I feel like people didn't like it as much as her last couple, but I thought it was really, really good. Um, number seven was Kendrick Lamar's Mr. Morale and the Big Steppers. Um, yeah. Uh, Number uh, number six was uh, Earl Sweatshirt's Sick, which I nice. another album that you kind of have to listen to from beginning to end, but I think is really great. Um, number five was Pusha T's It's Almost Dry. I'm a big, big Pusha T fan. I thought that album was great. Um, number four was, um, so it was Danger Mouse and uh, Black Thought uh, working together called Cheat Codes. Uh, really great kind of, nodding back to old school hip hop that was great number three was the wet leg album uh number two Fantastic. i always mispronounce her name and i'm going to do it again so my apologies uh nilufer yanya her yeah. album painless ah. big big fan of that most of the year i thought that was gonna be my number one um but instead an album that was not really heralded but i think is terrific um there is a uh an la group called the internet one of the two front people from that. The other one is Steve Lacey, who had a big year, and I, I like uh-huh. his album too. But the other yeah. kind of main front person uh, is uh, the artist Sid, and her uh, second, okay. I believe her second solo album was called Broken Hearts Club. It's an album basically about uh, her and a girlfriend 
uh, breaking up. And it's very minimalist, mm. and I thought it was just um, terrific. And it was such a great... Mm. Yeah, kind of slept on in a lot of ways, but so yeah, Broken Hearts Club awesome. by Sid, spelled S-Y-D, is now my thought was great, great, great. Solid, be sure, to, be sure to check that out. Absolutely. I, I love sharing these lists because there's always blind spots throughout the year. And, you know, even the Mitski album, uh, for whatever reason, I just didn't give it, I, I didn't spend a ton of time with it, but I love her last uh <laughs> several albums so yeah 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 it's a thing where it's like it's true in movies and it's definitely true in music you can't keep up there's mm-hmm. just so much yeah. stuff yeah. it's just yeah. and that's great in some ways but sometimes you feel like i'm gonna have to live five lifetimes yeah to yeah. absorb and consume all this stuff and not just absorb and consume but also like spend real time with it and really kind of yeah. appreciate it um yeah sure but yeah i i love when lists are not uh that uh samey because it's fun yeah. to like discover Absolutely. other people's tastes and, and get other recommendations. So sure. I, I am, I am sad that cruel country didn't make either list, but you know, <laughs> I was going to let just... that one go Lance, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. it's, oh, it's, man. it's, it's a, it's, it's a good album, but I, yeah. it, I, I would say in general, I am a short album over long album sure. fan. Um, sure. and long Same albums for sometimes for me, <laughs> Yeah, it, can, it definitely can be that way. It sort of depends yeah. on the movie. But with short albums, I, you know, it is inevitable that I think you you wrap your head, head around them easier. Longer albums just take longer. And maybe Cruel Country is something that is going to be a grower yeah. uh, for me because of that. Yeah, um, yeah. But, yeah, it was for me. Yeah, yeah. Tim, we, yeah, we're, we'll wrap up here. But we just so appreciate your time. This was so fun to connect with you and to learn about your writing of sunken treasure. Um, thanks so much for coming on. Oh, it was, thank you for letting me, you know, kind of talk about all this stuff and, and have a conversation with you guys about it. So I, I, I love the podcast. And so it was a real treat for me mm. to, uh, to be on lot. there. Yeah. And, and I did the only shout out. So I feel like I'm, <laughs> I, do, do I, do I win something for being the, the first shout yeah, out? Yeah, of yeah. The, yeah. Uh, yeah. You win a screener party? copy of cocaine bear. <laughs> <laughs> All the way around. Nicely, nicely, nicely done. Well, yes, I I hope that uh, I'm very, this was a real blast and a real treat. And and again, thank you both for the kind words about the book. Mm. It meant a lot to me. I really appreciate it. And yeah, uh, have me on whenever you'd like. This has been real, real fun for me. We're going to have to invite you back. Absolutely. All right, Tim. Thank you so much. If you'd like to keep up with Tim on social media, you can find him on Instagram and Twitter with the handle at Tim Grierson. You can also check out timgrierson.blogspot.com for some links to some of his film and music reviews. And you can also check out Tim on his weekly film podcast, Grierson and Leach.